This is Heaven on Earth by Puritan Thomas Brooks, Chapter 2 Weighty Propositions Concerning Assurance Seven Reasons Why God Denies Assurance for a Time to Some Believers The first proposition that I shall lay down concerning assurance is this that God denies assurance for a time to his dearest and choicest ones, and that upon many considerable grounds. One, as first for the exercise of their grace. A gracious soul would always be upon Mount Tabor, looking into Canaan. He would always be in his father's arms, and under his father's smiles. He would always be in the sunshine of divine favour. He would always have the heavens open, that he might always see his Christ and his crown, he would with Peter be always upon the mount. He is loath to walk through the valley of darkness, through the valley of Baca. As the king of Sodom said once to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Genesis 14.21 So gracious souls are apt to say, Give me joy, give me peace, give me assurance, and do you take trials, afflictions and temptations to yourselves. But pray, what use would there be of the stars if the sun did always shine? Why none? Why no more use would there be of your graces if assurance should be always continued? Therefore the Lord, for the exercise of his children's faith, hope, patience and so on, is pleased, <coughs> at least for a time, to deny them assurance, though they seek it by earnest prayer and with a flood of penitent tears. 2. The Lord denies assurance to his dearest ones, that he may keep them in the exercise of those religious duties that are most costly and contrary to flesh and blood, as to mourning, repenting, self-judging, self-loathing, self-abhorring, and self-searching, as Lamentations 1.16. For these things I weep, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. Chapter 3, 2 and 3 He hath led me and brought me into darkness, not into light. Surely against me he has turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. Verse 17 And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. Now the effect of God's dealings with the church may be seen in verse 40. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. And if you look throughout the book, you shall find the church much in self-examining, self-judging, self-loathing, and so on, upon this ground that God hath hid his face and drawn a curtain between him and them, and stood at a distance from them, and would not speak comfortably and friendly to them. Now if you ask me why God will put his children upon those duties of religion that are most costly and contrary to flesh and blood, I answer, 1 that his strength and power may appear in their weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, 9. 2. To discover not only the truth, but also the strength of their graces. A little grace will put a man upon those religious duties that are easy and pleasing to flesh and blood, and not costly, but rather profitable and pleasurable. But it must be strength of grace that puts a man upon those services that are costly and contrary to the old man, that they, three, that they may more fully, be more fully and eminently conformable to Christ their head, who from first to last, who even from the cradle to the cross, was most exercised in those duties and services that were most costly and contrary to flesh and blood. As is most evident to all that study the writings of the Holy Ghost more than the writings of men. 
For because in the performance of such such duties they do in a more singular way bear up the name and credit, the honour and glory of God, Christ and the gospel in the world, the very world will cry out, Ah, these are Christians indeed. 5. Because the more they are in the exercise of such duties, the greater at last will be their reward. Hebrews 11 verse 7. 6. That Satan's plots and designs may be the better prevented, and the wicked world more justly condemned, who do not only despise the hardest duties of religion, but also neglect the easiest. Matthew 25 verses 4 and 6. 3. The third reason why God denies assurance to his most precious ones is that they may be more clearly and fully convinced of that exceeding sinfulness and bitterness that is in sin. Jeremiah 2 verse 19. Ah, Lord, says the soul that is sighing and mourning under the want of assurance, I see now that sin is not only evil, but the greatest evil in the world, in that it keeps me from assurance of my interest in thee, who art the greatest good in the world, and from an assurance of that favour of thine that is better than life, and from the sweet of thy sweet count, the light of thy sweet countenance, that is better than corn and wine and oil, and from those joys and comforts that can alone make a paradise in my soul. Psalm four verse seven, Psalm sixty three verses three and four. Ah, Lord, now I find sin not only to be bitter, but to be the very quintessence of bitterness. Ah, no bitterness so bitter as sin that keeps my soul from that sweet assurance that is not only the top and crown of mercy, but also the sweetener of all mercy, misery, and glory. Oh, what unspeakable evil do I now see in that evil that keeps me from the most desirable good. Oh, what bitterness do I now find in that which Satan, the world, and my own deluded heart told me I should find sweetness in. Ah, now I find by experience that to be true which long since the faithful messengers of the Lord have told me that to be true, which long since the faithful messengers of the Lord have told me, that is, that sin debaseth the soul of man, that it defiles and pollutes the soul of man, that it renders the soul most unlike to God, who is optimum maximum, the best and the greatest, who is omnia super omnia, all and above all, and renders it most like to Satan, who is a very sea and sink of sin, that it hath robbed the soul of the image of God, the holiness of God, the beauty of God, the glory of God, the righteousness of God, and that keeps the soul from wearing this golden chain of assurance. Four. A fourth reason why God denies assurance to his dearest ones is because they seek assurance more for themselves than they do for his honour and glory, more that they may have joy without sorrow, comfort without torment, peace without trouble, sweet without bitter, light without darkness, and day without night, than that he may be exalted and that he may be exalted and admired, and his name alone made great and glorious in the world. Many Christians are like the bee that flies into the field to seek honey to eat, but brings it not into the master's hive, so they seek for assurance that they may feed upon the sweet honeycomb more than to fill their lord and master's hive with thanks and praise. That servant that minds his wages more than his work must not wonder if his master be slack in paying. No more should he that minds comfort more than obedience, that minds assurance more than divine honour, wonder that God delays the giving of assurance, though it be sought with many prayers and tears. He that is most tender of God's honour shall find by experience 
that God is most mindful of his comfort. God will not see that soul sit long in sackcloth and ashes. That makes it his business to set him up upon his throne. He that minds God's glory more than his own good shall quickly find that God will even obscure his own glory to do him good. <clears throat> if we are not wanting to God's glory, he will not long be wanting to our joy. 5. A fifth reason why God denies assurance to his children is that when they have it, they may the more highly prize it, the more carefully keep it, the more wisely improve it, and the more affectionately and effectually bless God for it. None sets such a price upon light as he that hath lain long in a dungeon of darkness. So none sets a, a, such a price upon assurance as those children of light that have walked most in spiritual darkness. Ah, how sweet was the light to Jonah that had been in the belly of hell. Jonah 2 verse 2. So is assurance to those that, through slavish fears and unbelief, have made their beds in hell, as the psalmist speaks, Psalm 139, verse 8. Gold that is far-fetched and clearly bought is most esteemed, so that assurance that costs the soul most pains and patience, most waiting and weeping, most striving and wrestling, is most highly valued and most widely improved, as, by the want of temporals, God teaches his people the better to prize them <clears throat> and improve them when they enjoy them. So, by the want of spirituals, God teaches his people the better to prize them and improve them when they enjoy them. Ah, how sweet was Canaan to those that had been long in the wilderness! How precious was the golden earrings to Israel that had been long in Egypt, and the gifts and jewels to the Jews that had been long in Babylon! So is assurance to those precious souls that have been long without it, but at last come to enjoy it. Numbers 14, verses 33 and 34, Exodus 11, Ezra 1. After the Trojans had been wandering, about, wandering a long time in the Mediterranean Sea, as soon as they espied land, they cried out with exulting joy, Italy, Italy! So when poor souls shall come to enjoy assurance, who have been long tossed up and down in a sea of sorrow and trouble, how will they with joy cry out, Assurance, assurance, assurance! Sixth. The sixth reason why God denies assurance to his dearest ones, at least for a time, is that they be kept humble and low in their own eyes, as the enjoyment of mercy gladdens us, so the want of mercy humbles us. David's heart was never more low than when he had a crown only in hope, but not in hand. No sooner was the crown set upon his head, but his blood rises with his outward good, and in the pride of his heart he says, I shall never be moved, Psalm 30, verse 6. Hezekiah was a holy man, yet he swells big under mercy, 2 Chronicles 32. No sooner doth God lift up his house higher than others, but he lifts up his heart in pride higher than others. When God hath made him high in honours, riches, victories, aye, and in spiritual experiences, then his heart flies high, and he forgets God, and forgets himself, and forgets that all his mercies were from free mercy, that all his mercies were but borrowed mercies. Surely it is better to lack any mercy than a humble heart. It is better to have no mercy than lack a humble heart. A little, little mercy with an humble heart is far better than the greatest mercies with a proud heart. I had rather have Paul's coat with his humble heart than Hezekiah's lifted up heart with his treasures 
and royal robes. Well, Christians, remember this. God hath two strings to his bow. If your hearts will not lie humble and low under the sense of sin and misery, he will make them lie low under the lack of some desired mercy. The want of assurance tends to bow and humble the soul, as the enjoyment of assurance doth to raise and rejoice the soul. Therefore, do not wonder why precious souls are so long without assurance, why Christ's chariot assurance is so long a coming, Judges 5.28. 7. The seventh and last reason why God denies assurance for a time, even to his dearest ones, is that they may live clearly and fully upon Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ may be seen to be all in all. It is natural to the soul to rest upon everything below Christ, to rest upon creatures, to rest upon graces, to rest upon duties, to rest upon divine manifestations, to rest upon celestial consolations, to rest upon gracious evidences, and to rest upon sweet assurances. Now the Lord, to cure his people of this weakness, and to bring them to live wholly and solely upon Jesus Christ, denies comfort and denies assurance and so on, and for that and for a time leaves his children of light to walk in darkness. Christians, this you are always to remember, that though the enjoyment of assurance makes most for your consolation, yet the living purely upon Christ in the absence of assurance makes most for Christ's exaltation. He is happy that believes upon seeing, upon feeling, but thrice happy are those souls that believe when they do not see, that love when they do not know, that they are beloved, and that in the want of all comfort and assurance can live upon Christ as their only all. He that hath learned his, this holy art cannot be miserable. He that is ignorant of this art cannot be happy. Words used in scripture to express assurance. The second proposition is this, that the scripture hath many sweet significant words to express that well-grounded assurance by which believers may attain to in this life. Sometimes it is called a persuasion, Romans 8.38, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, and so on, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is rendered a perspicuous and peculiar manifestation of Christ to the soul, John 14, verses 21 to 24. It is often rendered to know, as 1 John 3.14.19.24 and 5.13 and 19. But the word of that scripture doth most fully express this by this one that denotes full assurance. That is, when the soul by the spirit and word is so fully persuaded of its eternal happiness and blessedness that it is carried like Noah's ark above the way all waves, doubts and fears and Noah like sits still and quiet and can with the Apostle Paul triumph over sin, hell, wrath, death and the devil. This is sometimes called full assurance of understanding. Sometimes it is called full assurance of hope. And sometimes it is called full assurance of faith. Because these are the choice and pleasant springs from whence assurance flows. Colossians 2.2 2, Hebrews 6.11.18 and 19.10.22 and Now though, this full assurance is earnestly desired and highly prized, and the want of it much lamented, and the enjoyment of it much endeavoured after by all saints, yet it is only obtained by a few. It is a mercy too good for most men's hearts, it is a crown too weighty for most men's heads. 
Full assurance is optimum maximum, the best and the greatest mercy, and therefore God will only give it to his best and dearest friends. Augustus, in his solemn feasts, gave trifles to some, but gold to others. Honours and riches and so on are trifles that God gives to the worst of men, but assurance is that tried gold, Revelation 3.18, that God only gives to tried friends. Among those few that have a share or portion in the special love and favour of God, there are but very few that have an assurance of his love. It is one mercy for God to love the soul, and another mercy for God to assure the soul of his love. God writes many a man's name in the book of life, and yet will not let him know it till the hour, his hour of death, as the experience of many precious souls doth clearly evidence. Assurance is a flower of paradise that God sticks but in a few men's bosoms. It is one thing to be an heir of heaven, and another thing for a man to know or see himself as an heir of heaven. No one see himself as an heir of heaven. The child in the arms may be heir to a crown, a kingdom, and yet not understand it. So many a saint may be heir to a crown, a kingdom of glory, and yet not know it. As the babes that pass the pangs of the first birth do not immediately cry, Father, Father, so the newborn babes in Christ that have passed the pangs of the second birth do not at once cry, Abba, Father, they do not immediately cry out. Heaven, heaven is ours, glory, glory is ours, Romans 8, 16, 17, 1 Peter 2, 2. True believers are saved even though they lack assurance. The third proposition is this, that a man may have true grace that hath not assurance of the love and favour of God or of the remission of his sins and salvation of his soul. A man may be truly happy and yet not have assurance that he shall be eternally happy. A man may be God's, and yet not know it. His estate may be good, and yet he may not see it. He may be in a safe condition when he is not in a comfortable condition. All may be well with him in the court of glory, when he would give a thousand worlds that all were but well in the court of conscience. The Canaanite woman showed much love, wisdom, zeal, humility, and faith. Yea, such strength of faith as makes Christ admire her, and yield to her, grace her, and gratify her, and yet she had no assurance that we read of, Matthew fifteen twenty two and 29. So Paul, speaking of the believing Ephesians, saith, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians one thirteen. First, they heard the word, and then secondly, they believed. And then thirdly, they were sealed, that is, fully assured of a heavenly inheritance, of a purchased possession. So, 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the Son of God. Isaiah 50, verse 10 who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness, and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord, and stay himself upon his God. So Micah 7 verses 8 and 9. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. 
He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Asaph was a very holy man, a man eminent in grace, and yet without assurance, as may be seen at large. Psalm 77. Heman doubtless was a very precious soul, (coughs) and yet from his youth up (coughs) he was even distracted with terrors. Psalm 88. There are thousands of Christians that are in a state of grace and shall be saved that want assurance and the proper effects of it as high joy, pure comfort, glorious peace and vehement longings after the coming of Christ. Assurance is requisite to the well-being of a Christian, but not to the being it is requisite to the consolation of a Christian, but not to the salvation of a Christian. It is requisite to the well-being of grace, but not to the mere being of grace. Though a man cannot be saved without faith, yet he may be saved without assurance. God hath in many places of the scripture declared that without faith there is no salvation. But God hath not in any one place of the scripture declared that without assurance there is no salvation. A man must first be saved before he can be assured of his salvation. For he cannot be assured of that which is not. And a man must have saving grace before he can be saved. For he cannot be saved by that which he hath not. Again, a man must be engrafted into Christ before he can be assured of remission or salvation. But this he cannot be before he hath faith. Therefore there may be grace where there is no assurance. Christ went to heaven in a cloud and the angel went up to heaven in the smoke and flame of the sacrifice. And so I doubt not, but many precious souls do ascend to heaven in clouds and darkness. Acts 1.9, Judges 13.20 Six reasons why some do not attain assurance. Now a man may have grace and yet lack assurance, and that may arise from these causes. First, from his cavilling spirit, and from his siding with the old man against the new, with the flesh against the spirit, with corruption against grace, with the house of Saul against the house of David, with the work of Satan against the work of God. Sin is Satan's work, grace, holiness is God's. Yet such is the weakness, yea, madness, of many poor souls that they will fall in and side with Satan's work rather than with God's against their own souls. Ah, Christians, will you condemn that judge for injustice and unrighteousness that shall open his ears to the complaints of the plaintiff but stops his ears against the answers of the defendant? And will you not condemn yourselves for that? You do with both ears hear what sin and Satan hath to say against the soul, but have not one ear open to hear what the spirit, what grace, what the new man, what the noble part of man, what the regenerate man can say for the justification, satisfaction and consolation of the soul. Let me tell thee, O cavilling soul, that it is thy wisdom and thy duty to remember that command of God that doth prohibit thee from bearing false witness against thy neighbour. That same command doth enjoin thee not to bear false witness against the work of grace upon thine own heart, against the precious and glorious things that God hath done for thy soul. And thou shouldst make as much conscience of bearing false witness against anything the Lord hath wrought in thee and for thee as thou dost make conscience of bearing false witness against thy neighbour. It cannot but be sad with the soul, but be night with the soul, when it makes much conscience of the one and no conscience of the other. Many heathens have been so loving and faithful one to another that they would rather die 
than they would bear false witness one against another. How dare you cavilling souls bear false witness against your own souls and the gracious work of the Lord upon them? If this be not the way to keep off assurance and keep the soul in darkness, yea, in hell, I know in a hell, I know nothing too. Again, a man may have grace and yet lack assurance, and that may arise in the second place from the exceeding littleness and weakness of his grace. A little candle yields but a little light, and a little grace yields but a little evidence. Great measures of grace carry with them great and clear evidences, but little measures carry with them but little evidence. Some stars are so small that they are scarce discernible, so some saints' graces are so small that they can hardly see their graces to be graces. A little fire will yield but a little heat, a little grace will yield but a little comfort, a little evidence, a little grace will yield a man a heaven hereafter. But it is a great deal of grace that must yield us a heaven here. A little stock will bring in but a little profit. A little grace will bring in but a little peace. A little jewel yields but a little lustre. A little glory no more doth a little grace. And therefore it is that Christians that have but a little grace have but a little of the shine and lustre of assurance. They have but little joy and comfort in this world. <coughs> Yet, that the spirits of weak Christians may not utterly faint, let me give them this hint, that is, that the weakest Christian is as much justified, as much pardoned, as much adopted, and as much united to Christ as the strongest, and hath as much interest and propriety in Christ as the highest and noblest Christian that breathes, though he cannot make so much advantage and improvement of his interest, the propriety as the strong Christian who hath a greater degree of grace. Jerome observes upon the Beatitudes that there are many of the promises made to weak grace, Matthew 5, verses 3 and 4 and 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Weak saints, remember this, the promise is a ring of gold, and Christ is the precious tried stone in that ring, and upon that stone must you rest as you would have grace, to thrive and your souls to be safe and happy. Weak souls remember this, as Joseph sent chariots to bring his father and his brethren to him, Genesis 45, so God would have your weak graces to be as chariots to bring you to himself, who is the cherisher, strengthener and increaser of grace. He that makes his graces to be servants and handmaids, to convey him to Christ, the fountain of grace, he shall find the greatest sweetness in grace and the greatest increase of grace. Thirdly, a man may have true grace and yet want assurance. And this may arise from the resurrection of old sins. Ah, when those sins which were long since committed and long since lamented and long since loathed and long since crucified, when those old sins which have cost a soul many prayers and many tears and many sighs and many groans and many complaints, when those sins have, that have been long buried shall be again revived and meet the soul and stare upon the soul and say to the soul, We are thine and we will follow thee. We are thine and we will haunt thee. Ah, how will this cause a man's countenance to be changed, his thoughts to be troubled, his joints to be loosed and his heart to be amazed? 
David and Job meeting with the sins of their youth long after they were lamented and pardoned makes their hearts startle and tremble, Psalm 25, 7, Job 13, verse 26. Upon the new risings of old sins, the soul begins to question all and thus to expostulate the case. Surely my estate is not good, my pardon is not sealed. If it be, how come these sins to be revived, to be remembered? Hath not God engaged himself in the promises of grace that those sins that are pardoned shall never be remembered? Isaiah 43 verse 25, Jeremiah 31 34. And surely if these sins be not pardoned, I have reason to fear that others be not pardoned. And if my sins be not pardoned, how shall I escape being destroyed? Surely my repentance was not sound, my sorrow was not sincere. The blow, the wound I gave sin was not mortal. If it had, how comes it to pass that it now meets me like an armed enemy? Thus these new risings of old sins keeps many a man's soul and assurance asunder. Fourthly, a man may have grace and yet want assurance, and this may arise from his falling short of that perfection that the word requires and that other saints have attained to. Ah, says such a soul, surely I have no grace. Oh, how short do I fall of such and such righteous rules and of such and such precious Christians. Ah, how clear are they in their light. How strong are they in their love. How high are they in their attainments. How are their hearts filled with grace and their lives with holiness. All their emotions towards God and towards men speak out. Grace, grace. They pray indeed like saints and live indeed like angels. Now many poor souls comparing themselves with the perfect rule of righteousness and with those that are in the highest forms of Christ school, in Christ's school and that are the noblest and choicest patterns for purity and sanctity and finding such a vast disproportion between their hearts and the rule between their actions and lives and the actions and lives of others, they are apt to sit down, saddened and discouraged. Suetonius reports of Julius Caesar that seeing Alexander's statue, he fetched a deep sigh because he at that age had done so little. So many precious souls sit down sighing and weeping that they have lived so long and done so little for God and for their own internal and eternal good. This wounds and sinks their spirits that they are so unlike to those in grace that they desire to be like unto in glory and that they are so far below such and such in spirituals whom they are so far above in temporals. Five fifthly, a man may have true grace and yet want assurance, <clears throat> and this may arise from that smoke and clouds, those fears and doubts that corruption raises in the soul, so that the soul cannot see those excellent graces that otherwise might be discerned. Though there may be many precious gems and jewels in the house, yet the smoke may hinder a man from seeing them sparkle and shine. So though there may be many precious graces in the souls of saints, yet corruption may raise such a dust, such a smoke in the soul, that the soul is not able to see them in their beauty and glory. The well of water was near Hagar, but she saw it not till her eyes were opened by the Lord. Genesis 21 verses 19 and 20. So grace is near the soul, yea, in the soul, in the soul sometimes, and yet the soul doth not see it, till God opens the eye and shows it. The Lord was in this place, saith Jacob, and I knew it not. Genesis twenty-eight sixteen. 
So many a precious soul may say, Grace was in my heart, and I knew it not, I saw it not. Blessed John Bradford, in one of his epistles, saith thus, O Lord, methinks I feel it so with me, sometimes, as if there were no difference between my heart and the heart of the wicked. My mind is as blind as theirs, my spirit as stubborn and rebellious as theirs, and my thoughts as confused as theirs, and my affections as disordered as theirs, and my services as formal as theirs, and so on. Ah, Christians, have not many of your souls found it so? Surely, yes. No wonder, then, that though you have grace, yet that yet you have not seen it sparkling and shining in your souls, as some have thought that their fields have had no corn, because they have been so full of weeds, and that their heap hath no wheat, because nothing much appeared but chaff, and their pile have no gold, because it hath been covered with much dross. So some have thought that their hearts have been void of grace, because they have been so full of fears and doubts. Peter at one time believes and walks, at another time he doubts and sinks, Matthew 14, verse 30. Abraham believes and offers up Isaac at one time, he fears and falls at another time. Say thou art my sister, lest they kill me, Genesis 22. So David and Job, they had their shufflings, tremblings, faintings, shakings and questionings, Psalm 116, 11, Psalm 31, 22. It is not always high water with saints, sometimes they are reduced to a very low ebb. The best of saints are like the ark, tossed up and down with waves and with fears and doubts, and so it will be till they are quite in the bosom of Christ. Sixth, lastly, a man may have grace and yet not see it, yet not know it, and this may arise from his non-searching, his non-examining, his non-ransacking his own soul. There is gold in the mine, and men might find it if they would be but dig and search diligently after it. There is grace in the heart, and you might see it, if you would but take the candle of the Lord, and look narrowly after it. Look as many a man upon a diligent search may find his temporal estate to be better than he apprehends it. So many choice souls upon a diligent search may find their spiritual estate to be far better than they conceived or judged it to be. Therefore souls cease from complaining, cease from rash judging and dooming of yourselves to hell, and be diligent, diligent in inquiring what the Lord hath done, and what the Lord is a-doing, in you and for you. Compare the books together, compare his working upon you and others together. What? Is there no light, no love, no longings, no hungerings, no thirstings after God? What? Is there no sighing, no complaining, no mourning, under the sense of sin, and under the want of divine favour? Surely, if you search, you will find some of these things, and if you do prize them as jewels that are more worth than the world, God will not despise the day of small things. And will you, will you dare you say that that is a little that is more worth than heaven? The least spark of grace shall at last be turned into a crown of glory. Well, remember this, that as the least grace, if true and sincere, is sufficient to salvation, so the sense of the least grace should be sufficient to your consolation. I'm going to leave this section there, so that'll be chapter 2a. Um, there's another um, 
43 pages to go in this chapter, so I'll probably break it up into three lots. Um, so the next section is God requires some believers to wait for long assurance, but we'll leave it there just now. Wonderful words of encouragement on the and words for um, consideration on the subject of assurance. <laughs>